0: What's up everybody? Welcome to the Pick Six Podcast, the Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Prince and I'm your host and we are rolling right through our All-32 series where we take a look at every single team in the NFL. Deep dive with a smart person who knows a lot about the team. Uh, this week we were breaking down the NFC and AFC East, the Cowboys and Dolphins. We have no particular order for this, obviously. Cowboys and Dolphins in, in, in on, the, on the first day, and now uh, we have the Giants. We're going to talk to Matt Lombardo of New Jersey Advanced Media. Or is it NJ Advanced Media? How do you say it exactly, Matt? At Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. Thanks for doing it, man. Of course, well, it's NJ Advanced Media, and of course the Star Ledger, and the
1: Twitter handle is at Matt Lombardo NFL.
0: The Giants are uh, the Giants are a fun team to talk about because Dave Gettleman. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. I am I, curious. Like, do you? D- Gettleman has gotten himself in such a pickle. It feels like that. Uh, do you think that he has to make the playoffs – They have to make the playoffs to save his job, or can they just have a decent season? And Daniel Jones looks awesome.
1: Yeah, well, I think it really comes down to the development of Daniel Jones, right? Because if you look at the... and it's really a two-horse race at the top with the Cowboys and the Eagles. So if you look at their rosters top to bottom, they're just much more talented and further along in their development than the Giants are. But if the Giants can knock off the Eagles once, maybe split with the Cowboys, sweep the Redskins, win seven or eight games and feel like there's positive momentum building into 2021, and Daniel Jones can cut down on the turnovers, which were the issue that plagued him throughout his entire rookie year with the 11 uh, interceptions and 15 fumbles that he lost, then you can start to feel good about the direction of the franchise, especially after the draft this year where you get your franchise left tackle, plug some holes depth wise on defense. That's the type of scenario where I think Dave Gettleman can save his job going into 2021. But if the wheels fall off, if Jones proves to be just a turnover machine, if Joe Judge it looks like it was a mistake of a higher, which I don't, I think there's a lot of optimism and, and rightfully so about Joe Judge. But if the Giants go, three and 13 or two and 14 again, not only do I think Dave Gettleman's gone, but I think you have a lot of soul searching throughout that entire organization about the quarterback position, the coaching hire and everything, because then that would just mean that this franchise has become mired in the muck of what the Cleveland Browns and Cincinnati Bengals have become rather than one of the crown jewel heritage franchises of the NFL, which they were for a long
0: time. It's crazy to say that, but you're not wrong. Like, The, I mean, the Giants have two Super Bowls since 2007 and it's easy to sort of fall back on that. But all of a sudden you get to 2020 and you're like, okay, it's, it's secretly been 10 years since that Super Bowl run. Um, and, and Eli took down the Patriots for the second time. Uh, I, I, I sort of feel like with this roster and this is such a, it's such a dangerous place to be in the NFL that Dave, that Gettleman feels like he's making win now moves. That are almost like, 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 uh, maybe built out of desperation, like the Leonard Williams thing. It makes no sense. Like, why, why would you trade that pick for him and then have to franchise tag him? I, I like, I like Andrew Thomas. I think he's a very good prospect, but like even dating back to Nate Solder, like he felt like he needed to shore up the line. So he paid him and now you got to draft Thomas. And it, it was like a safe, DeAndre Baker, he reached for him a little bit in the first round when there were all field concerns. And now this stuff is popping up. I mean, does, does it seem that way? Like it's sort of like, Everything's out of step with how they're handling it, where they used to operate as a very functional and straightforward organization that planned for the long haul?
1: Yeah, well, I think if you date back to 2018 and the Saquon Barkley picket number two has been litigated over and (laughs) over over again, but that was really the, the, the dawning of Dave Gettleman and the Giants trying to win while building. And I think we saw over the last two years, and John Mara, the owner, certainly admitted that by pulling the plug on Pat Shermer after two seasons, that that was a flawed philosophy. I believe that they hung with Eli Manning too long, I think that if Daniel Jones works out as a franchise quarterback that they chose last year, then a lot of those wrongs will be forgiven because that means if you have a franchise quarterback who's a top 15 quarterback in the league, that means with the weapons they have around him, you're going to be in a position to compete pretty quickly here in the NFL because the quarterback position matters more than all else. But if you look at the moves that they've made this offseason, I believe they have the fingerprints of Joe Judge all over them. And I think you look at Joe Judge exerting a lot of control over the draft, where cornerback was a position of need. They took two corners with Darnay Holmes and, and Chris Williamson. You look at linebacker, arguably the weakest linebacker in the league a year ago. You sign Kyler Fackerel Blake Martinez. You draft three linebackers late in the draft. You get Xavier McKinney, arguably the number one safety in the entire draft in round two. And you start to see, okay, th- there is – and a dawning of a young core on defense that's worthy of the young core they've built on offense around Barkley and Jones and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. So I think this year is really a transition year for the Giants in a lot of ways, where a lot of that old thinking of trying to put a Band-Aid on the holes was ripped off this offseason, and they're finally committed to building through the draft and supplementing through free agency rather than going the other way around, as you alluded to, with signing Nate Solder, trading for Alec Ogletree, and some of the moves that really blew up in their face, signing Jonathan Stewart off the free agent scrap heap a couple of years ago. Um, Just a lot of moves that didn't work out when they thought they were a lot closer than they really were. I think they've realized this is a rebuilding franchise at this point, But we have a young quarterback in his second year. The window isn't as wide as a lot of people believe because Saquon Barkley is going to get paid probably towards the end of this season, if not before next season. You have a limited window with a rookie quarterback, but they've made the moves, I believe, to put enough young talent around their quarterback and their running back to push for a playoff spot, if not this year, next year and beyond, if Jones turns out to be the guy.
0: Yeah, if Jones, if Jones like takes a step forward and like there's a lot of positives. I mean, I know that the term, the fumbles is a big issue and, uh, plenty of picks as well, but I mean, like there are a lot of positives from Daniel Jones and let's not kid ourselves either. Like he took a, like, look, Duke is a great school. I live near Duke. It's a fantastic academic, like institution and it's actually a pretty good football team. Uh, the David Cutcliffe has That's- done a good job building. It's still Duke. Like, and you're going to the NFL from there, right? Yeah. It's a pretty good basketball school too. I mean, yeah, more yeah. Than-
1: So, I mean, you look at Daniel Jones last year, and, again, I think the turnovers are the biggest issue not only for Daniel Jones but the trajectory of the entire franchise because that needs to get fixed if he's ever going to be a top 10, top 15, or top five quarterback in the league. But I did see a lot that I liked. You point to a couple throws last year. um, In the snow to Sterling Shepard in the corner of the end zone against Green Bay, there was a fourth and 18 throw, which I think was his most impressive pass of the season against the Bears, pocket collapsing all around him threads the needle into a tight window on what I believe is like a twenty three yard touchdown pass in the back of the end zone to Golden Tate. And then all the way back to his first start week three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the game the go-ahead which wind up being the game winning drive and the touchdown run to seal it. Those are all plays and moments that you look back in and if I'm Joe Judge and I was deciding whether or not to take this job, those are the plays that you watch and say, okay I can build around this guy. I can work with this guy. There's a foundation there for him to become a franchise quarterback. And I think they've developed a tremendous support system around him. When you look at bringing in Jason Garrett and everything he did to develop Dak Prescott and the numbers of Prescott that Prescott has put up over the last couple seasons in the regular season, you bring in Jerry Shablinski, who was, the quarterbacks coach for Tom Brady and for Jimmy Garoppolo in New England. And you bring in a guy like Cooper Rush, who was a backup quarterback with Jason Garrett to kind of translate the ins and outs of the system, because this is a rookie Mm -hmm. quarterback going into his second season with a new staff and a new scheme. You have these strong quarterback voices around him that, the Foundation is there, so the support system is there, and Jones seems like he has the temperament and the work ethic to make it happen, um, but that 's going to determine just how quickly the Giants develop into contenders, how quickly Jones develops into a franchise guy if he does
0: What do we know about joe judge i mean i i i was re- I was hesitant to Criticize or praise the hiring when when they got it. I mean, look, he's got a pedigree of working with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. When those two guys trust you to operate parts of their organization, then I think that's a that's a it speaks highly of you. But at the same time, like we just don't know a lot about him. He, he's been very impressive this all season. What, what's your sort of general take on Judge so far?
1: Yeah, I think the judge has really exerted a lot of control over the entire franchise. I think you look at the draft, you look at free agency. A lot of those picks and a lot of those signings are the type of moves that you would think the head coach was making and you look at cornerback and linebacker two positions with a lot of young talent and some aging veterans that just didn't work out for the former regime they cleaned house of those guys or in the case of the cornerback position they drafted guys that seemed to fit that profile you listen to joe judge's uh pre his introductory press conference and and he gives off the vibe of being an authoritarian taskmaster which (laughs) if you're going to act that way You need to prove that you can win quickly or you're going to lose your locker room. And you talk about, you know, his initial conversation with Andrew Thomas after he was drafted and the other draft picks before they got on the call with the media. He laid down the law and said, I don't want to hear comparisons to other players. I don't want to hear you talking about Super Bowls. I want you to come in here, put your nose to the grindstone, get to work and and really don't create any distractions or unnecessary conversations that you have to deal with later on. So I think that Joe Judge is exerting a lot of control and I think that the fact that he has influences as you alluded to, well, not just from working at Patriot Place with Bill Belichick. We've seen a lot of New England Patriots assistants go elsewhere and fail in their new programs, but working under Nick Saban, some heavy influences from his days at Mississippi State and coaches that he's worked with along the way. If he can take all of those influences and put them together into his own style, I think he's going to be successful, but if he tries to be, um, you know, Bill Belichick Jr. and the next Matt Patricia or the next Romeo Purnell or Charlie Weiss, it's just not going to work. So we're going to see a lot from Joe Judge this season based on how he conducts
0: himself, whether he's going to be a success or a failure in the NFL. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, look at some of those spots on the depth chart that might be a, uh, a big focus focal point for the Giants this season. Okay, so diving in, uh, Matt, a little bit maybe um, like a, a little more specific, I guess. If you want to, I mean, is there is there any is there anything that stands out to you from a depth chart perspective, like battles that you're already sort of watching? Because it it feels like offensively everything's. I mean, maybe with the exception of the offensive line, like everything's sort of laid out, right? I mean, like you know who these receivers are. I mean, you know, we Darius Slayton established himself as a rookie. Uh, Sterling Shepard somehow is. Played five years in the NFL, uh, or maybe four years. Uh, Golden Tate, Golden Tate's there. Evan Ingram can be a special talent, in my opinion, if he can play a full season. Daniel Jones, no challengers there. Um, and you have Soldier Will Hernandez and Andrew Thomas Zeitler. I mean, it's it feels pretty, pretty, pretty laid out on the offensive side of the ball, right? Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I think the only position to
1: really watch on offense is whether Andrew Thomas opens training camp, whenever that is, and this season at left tackle or right tackle. Mm. And when you invest the number four pick in the NFL draft on what the scouts and executives and talent evaluators that I spoke to throughout the process called the most pro-ready and most talented overall offensive tackle in this class, in my opinion, well, you start him at left tackle and you move Nate Soldier to the right side. Agreed. But there- Chatter about putting Thomas at right tackle and leaving Soldier on the left side. I think that would be a mistake when you look at Nate Soldier's performance over the last two seasons, giving up 58 pressures, double-digit sacks last year. He just hasn't lived up to the contract. And if you're trying to protect Daniel Jones and open up running lanes for Saquon Barkley, if you've invested the number four pick in the draft in an offensive tackle, You start him at the left tackle and you move Nate Soldier to the right side and you hope that Matt Perk can develop over this season to ultimately replace Soldier in 2021, or you go back to that well in next year's draft if it doesn't work out. So uh, offensive tackle is really the only position that I'd even keep a cursory glance at during training camp.
0: So do you do you think that – I agree with you completely, especially because, like, Andrew Thomas, it's not like he flip-flopped back in college. I mean, Isaiah Wilson, who the Titans drafted in the first round, was Georgia's right tackle. Like, I mean, you know, and and this – if you're asking this guy to come in after playing left tackle for Georgia and then to shift to right tackle and leave Nate Solder, who is a a veteran who I would assume is more likely to be able to handle that transition and who's probably gone after 2020 if we're being realistic and looking at the cap situation, he's going to get cut. Um do you think that it speaks either way to like what the, how the Giants feel about, like I guess what I'm saying is like, if they put Thomas at the left tackle, it doesn't speak like they're going, trying to go youth or anything. It just it says they're trying to establish that, you know, that setup, right?
1: Right. And I think that anytime you take an offensive tackle in the top five picks, you're unless he's a true right tackle, yeah. you're not taking him to be your right tackle. You're taking him to protect your quarterback's blind side. And you've seen Nate Solder fail at that for two seasons. And we've talked about it before, we touched on it earlier in the conversation. There's nothing more important and more telling to the trajectory of this franchise than Daniel Jones' development. So you cannot put him in peril. You can't put him in harm's way. And I think that if you start Thomas at left tackle and put Solder at the right side, it's a bit of a Band-Aid for the right side. And maybe Solder performs at a higher level on that side of the line. You just don't know. And you can spend a season developing Matt Perk, who you drafted, hoping that he would eventually develop into a starting caliber player.
0: Okay. Uh, defensively. Man, I can't get past this. Leonard Williams thing, like it just drives me nuts it's so it was so short-sighted like I, like, I understand that or, you you think that like if Leonard Williams gets to free agency maybe you can't get him I, I don't know you're gonna pay him like you could have bought him in free agency like I mean is it he wasn't he wasn't gonna attract a monster contract given his production even with his pedigree and his age to give up that draft pick for a rental and then be forced to franchise tag and with gentleman I believe saying even like I understand it. If we don't keep him, like, you're, you guys are going to kill me. I mean, like, the whole thing felt felt dumb. Yeah, I thought that that trade,
1: and I wrote about this multiple times, kind of underscored Dave Gettleman's lack of positional value and mm-hmm. lack of valuing draft capital, really, in today's NFL. And when you look at applying the franchise tag, that in a lot of ways screamed of Gettleman valuing pride over sensibility. Because if you take $16.2 million, you can go and you can bid for Byron Jones and not have to, quote-unquote, settle for James Bradbury, at cornerback. You can go and you can sign one of the marquee pass rushers who are available, or you can go and sign one of the top offensive tackles that are available to finally solidify that line. Um, the $16.2 million you invested in Leonard Williams – For a guy who isn't a true pass rusher, who's going to be a rotational type of player with B.J. Hill, who you took in the third round in 2019, it just didn't make sense at a lot of levels from both a football standpoint and from a value of draft capital standpoint. And I just look at that line. Yes, it might be a strength of the team when you look at Dexter Lawrence and you look at potentially Leonard Williams taking that next step, even though that's a real unknown. you really fortified a strength by – trading for Leonard Williams last year for a chance to, what, see him in your system for eight weeks and, and gain his negotiating rights? It, it just didn't make sense to me, and I think that you really hamstrung yourself what you were able to do in free agency and limited the caliber of player you were going to pursue knowing you had to pay him big money long term or commit $16.2 million to him
0: this year. What do you think the floor, what is the ceiling for the, for the Giants, what, what is a good, what is a successful season for the Giants? I think if the Giants can win seven or eight games, Will, and, and you
1: look at Daniel Jones and he throws for 3,800 yards and 32 touchdowns, less than 10 picks, seems like he really is developing in this system and in this scheme. I think you feel good about that and, and that John Mara, in all likelihood, will trust Dave Gettleman to – stay around for at least one more year and see this rebuild through for at least one more free agency class and one more draft class Um, I I don't know that that's all going to happen I think there's a chance they could win four or five games again this year and if they don't even reach that plateau I, I don't know that Joe Judge is safe. I think that as of now, Joe Judge has all of the power, and I think that if there's any inclination that he was the right hire this year, and there are even baby steps made, that he'll have heavy influence over whoever will be Dave Gettleman's successor. But if they go 2-14, and 14, which I don't think is what happens, but hypothetically if they do, then, then I think there's a, a legitimate chance that Jason Garrett is the head coach in waiting. And Garrett really is sitting in the catbird seat of all of this, right? Because if this goes well and the Giants win 8-9- Games push for the playoffs they have a top 10 offense he's a head coach somewhere else next year right if if they go 2 and 14 and it flounders and joe judge looks like he's overmatched in and over his head guess who the next head coach of the new york football giants is it's jason garrett with a new general manager so i i just think that this is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out i think there's enough talent there in place for the giants to improve and take strides and make steps towards competing but if they don't it's going to be fascinating to see how john mara reacts to all of this
0: I I don't know Debo if you could grab a screenshot of my face when when Matt said that Jason Garrett could like could basically pull a coup in the in in the the, 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 the Giants like that idea it like makes me so happy in a very like. Terrible, like it gives it, it gives it like it's like just catnip, the idea that like, cause that's sort of what Jason Garrett did with the Cowboys. Like he rolled in and he was Wade Phillips offensive coordinator, like kissing Susie Colbert, the old blog, you know, they used to like joke about that, like Jason Garrett's running through the halls, like undermining Wade Phillips. And then it actually happened. That would be incredible. It's a, it's a great point though. Before, I'll, I'll ask you one more thing because I didn't ask about Garrett before, but do you think that Garrett is, do, are, he philosophically, he certainly fits with what, you know, Dave Getteman wants to do. He's going to run the ball. Um, do, does it worry you for the Giants' success that Jason Garrett, that Joe the, the, the Judge is like, look at the Cowboys' offense and what they did. That's what we're going to do. It's like, eh, I don't know if that's really what you want to do. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be excited about with
1: Jason Garrett. Obviously, the caveat here is he doesn't have the Dallas Cowboys' offensive line and he doesn't have a Marty Cooper. But if Darius Slayton improves on his rookie year. Um, and, and becomes that deep threat, okay, now you're on to something. And I think that if the offensive line improves with Andrew Thomas, you can start to see philosophically high percentage throws to Evan Ingram in a similar way to the, the way they used Jason Witten all these years, trying to use Darius Slayton in a similar role to how they used Amari Cooper, then that can kind of facilitate the development for Jones. Uh, but but it has to work because the offensive line holds all the cards. If the offensive line is in tatters and Nate Solder just doesn't work out, and if Andrew Thomas somehow flops, then you're in a world of trouble and you're talking about those doomsday worst case scenarios that I talked about earlier in the conversation.
0: Alright, uh, Matt Lombardo thank you so much for taking the time this is an awesome conversation, the Giants uh, like, uh, they are they're fascinating. Um, read him at NG, NNJ, excuse me advanced media, at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter, a great follow there. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time man. Yeah, well thanks for having me on Okay picture this